go to Second Peter. Uh, if you're new or missed last week, we're going to spend most of August in Second Peter. I like it a lot. It's a great uh, kind of pre-start to the semester kind of book. Uh, Peter, Second Peter is a very general uh, letter. It doesn't, he doesn't address any specific church situations. He talks about the main things. Uh, last week, we learned uh, that the main thing we are to do uh, as verse, verses 4 and 5 say are to make every effort uh, to grow in Christian character in light of grace. Um, and today, we're going to add uh, a reason why. And so this is a very interesting passage. We're going to be in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 16 to 21. And uh, there's some very interesting things here. But the, the primary thing Peter's going to say is that because Jesus is returning, because he is coming back, and his return is going to be soon, that growing in grace is very significant. So uh, if you've ever wondered um, if we have, if, we, if Christians can really say that they have a unique and reliable scriptures, and that those things that the scriptures say, we can really know that they are true, this passage is for you. And if you've ever uh, got that little uncomfortable feeling that you're not really living in light of the things the scriptures reveal, I think this passage will be helpful. Let's stir you up. So let's, let's read um, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 21. 4. We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing that first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Now, Lord, thank you that uh, we have some really, really good reasons to open the Bible and learn from it this morning, that this uh, this is the word of God, that it's reliable, that it's not made up, um, that it's based on you acting in history. Um, I pray this morning we be encouraged and challenged uh, by that truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, it is pretty amazing the things that we say we believe. Uh, one thing that anyone here who has taken eighth grade science, says they believe is that the earth orbits around the sun, okay? And that the earth also spins on its axis. And that's why we have day and night and seasons and all that kind of stuff, okay? The earth orbits around the sun. Everyone believes that, I'm pretty sure, unless you're one of those crazy people who thinks it's flat. Anyways, uh, we say we believe that, okay? But have you ever stopped to consider some of the implications of that simple fact that the earth orbits around the sun? Uh, that means that every single one of us is on a rock suspended in space traveling at 67,000 miles per hour around the sun while also spinning 
at 1,000 miles per hour. We are a galactic major league curveball, right? Uh, maybe even heading at a bat somewhere. Uh, now, there's a good reason you don't walk around disoriented like you're on a roller coaster all day, right? And that's because you can't tell you're moving, right? If you didn't have science, if we didn't have observation, we would just think the Earth is still. Um, however, it's very much the case that you are spinning through space, hurtling, if you will. And I think you should live accordingly. There, there are some things you should chew on, right? So imagine that. Your, your, your existence is not this stationary, set, secure. You're flying through space right now, right? And God's just upholding uh, this world in a way where you can't even tell. So we say we believe lots of things. We say it. There are some things in the scriptures that I think we are all guilty of saying we believe without ever really chewing on the implications. Just consider for a moment uh, what is highlighted in this passage, that Jesus Christ one day, maybe today, will bodily return to the earth. He will come. History will end, right? Reality as you know it will be swept away, and all people will be before him. And at that moment, it's too late. Your fate is sealed. It's either eternal joy or eternal misery for every person on the earth. We all, if you're a Christian, if you've opened the Bible, if you believe it, maybe you're new to Christianity, but if you've been around for a little while, that's a very common belief. Christians have believed it for thousands of years, 2,000 years, really. Um, but do you really believe that? Have you thought about it once? in the last month? Have you arranged any of your life goals in this season around that day? Are you ready for that day? Have you, like uh, Jonathan Edwards said, that I'm not going to do anything that I, I wouldn't do if I knew Jesus was returning in an hour, right? Do you live like that? I think it's quite possible that the reason many of us are not motivated to do that hard work of Christian growth like we discussed last week is because we do not consider the weight and the reality and the possibility of Jesus' return in our lifetimes. So uh, what we see in 2 Peter uh, 1, 16-21, is Peter is going to give us some relentless logic. He's going to first tell us that the scriptures are true. And then he's going to tell us that, well, if the scriptures are true, then that means Jesus really is returning. And if Jesus really is returning, that means we should grow. Let's see the argument unfold. First, we see a reliable testimony. Look at verse 16. We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, uh, we did not make this stuff up. A myth simply here is a, it's not a, don't think about mythology or, you know, Greek gods, whatever. A myth here is anything uh, that has been a story that's been made up to explain human existence. And Peter's simply saying that is not uh, what our preaching has been, right? We actually saw things. We didn't sit around and decide what some, mor some moral truths would be. We didn't spend time with Jesus and kind of coalesce his teaching into a body of truth to make a church. No, we saw. We were eyewitnesses of God acting in history. Look what, uh, look what he highlights that he saw here. Uh, verse, uh, verse 17, he's talking about the transfiguration. This is the story in uh, Luke 9, Mark 9, and Matthew 17. 
where Jesus, looking like a regular dude, takes his disciples up onto a mountain and becomes radiantly white before them, and God himself speaks. But here's what Peter, here's how Peter describes it, verse 17. When he, Jesus, received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory of this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Again, the idea here is that we saw it with our own eyes. We saw God in the flesh break into history. We saw God the Father, or we heard God the Father speak audibly. We did not make this up. And the apostles weren't just eyewitnesses to the transfiguration, right? They were eyewitnesses to the crucifixion and to the resurrection and to the ascension of Christ. Um, and it wasn't just the apostles. One of my favorite passages, if you're ever, uh, if, if there's an unbeliever in your life and they're kind of skeptical about the, the truth claims of the scriptures, my favorite passage to share with an unbeliever like this is 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, in this passage, Paul is talking to a group of Christians. Some aren't Christians, but they don't believe in the resurrection, and uh, here, here's what he says. He says, the, the risen Jesus appeared first to the other apostles, then to me, all right? And then he appeared to 500 men, some of whom have fallen asleep, but most of whom are still alive. In other words, hey, listen, you guys don't buy what I'm saying? There are 500 other people who've seen the risen Jesus. You can go next door and ask them. All right, the, the idea here is that the truth claims in this book are not based on guys sitting down and deciding that we're going to create a religion. They're based uniquely among all, 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 all other worldviews on eyewitness testimony to God acting in history. Um, and not only that, look at, uh, look at the, what Peter says next. This is kind of crazy. He says uh, in verse 19, we have something even better than eyewitness testimony. Verse 19, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. So uh, Peter here is referring specifically to all of the Old Testament prophecies about Christ. And again, uh, Nathan uh, taught for me, one of my friends did about three weeks ago, and he went through a lot of this evidence. But very briefly, all right, you have specific predictions written six to seven hundred years before Jesus was born about where he'd be born, about what, about what he would do, about the fact that he would suffer and die in the place of sinners and rise again. If you, if you, if you, if you need to... Go home and look this up. Look up Psalm 22. Look up Isaiah 53. Read the book of Zechariah. There are specific and clear prophecies about what, who Jesus would be um, and what he would do. And Peter says those have been fulfilled in Christ. So uh, in, in summary, okay, in summary, when it comes to um, how Christians, the kind of truth that Christians have, the body in the scriptures, uh, the Bible and the Christian worldview stands utterly unique among any other truth claim. In fact, we, we could go, I'll just go there for a second, okay? Do you guys know uh, the origins of Islam, one of the major competitors or whatever to the Christian faith? Any ideas? All right, in the year 600 uh, AD, the, the prophet Muhammad went into a cave and claimed that the angel Gabriel dictated to him the Quran. Right? Okay. That's that's a that's the origins of uh, of uh, Islam. Uh, it, Buddhism, another major um, competing worldview. Okay. 
a man named Siddhartha Gautama. You actually, actually, you guys probably read Siddhartha in high school. It was required reading, I bet. But anyways, Siddhartha Gautama, Gautama uh, got frustrated with his noble, uh, rich life, became a poor man. And then one day, he was sitting under a tree, and he just had a, the lights went on for him, and he wrote on everything he learned. All right? Those are two of the most major world religions. And they, notice they both, they come from one person. Right? One person either claiming divine revelation or writing down what they think. Right? No truth claim, no world religion has eyewitness testimony, prophecies fulfilled. And uh, the crazy, I think, I think even the craziest thing is that what our scriptures reveal is actually good news. Right? Most world religions reveal that we should work harder to be more like God and he'll, he'll love us then. The scriptures reveal that, no, actually, uh, we're rebels, right? And God, in his love to us, sent Jesus to save us, that God himself became a man, right? They, they witnessed this. They saw him die. They saw him rise. And they, they saw him teach that if you just trust Jesus, if you look to him, if you turn to him, you can be saved. And unlike any other truth claim, we have these things by way of eyewitness testimony and fulfilled prophecy. So first application, um, I would just encourage you in a day when there has really never been more, at least in America, uh, kind of despising of the Christian worldview and scorning of it in the public square and people just calling us idiots and saying, oh my gosh, you just, I can't believe you believe this stuff, okay? I would just encourage you in light uh, of that culture we live in, do not be timid about what you believe about the Bible. Sometimes I think it's really uh, it's tempting, especially maybe in your workplace, be like, yeah, I'm a Christian, you know, like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna debate with you. I'm just gonna kind of, I'm a Christian. It works for me, you know. That's kind of how we, we kind of back up to that. Like it's, it's been good for me. There's no, uh, there's no real conviction or boldness. So I'm gonna say, guys, listen. There is nothing. If anything in the world is true, the scriptures are true. Be, be, be confident in that. You have a reasonable, rational faith. Now it requires faith. Okay, it requ- requires trust. But what's in here? There's nothing more. No, no historical. Um, no, no truth claim more historically verified. Nothing more sure. And, and second, uh, have you ever considered that uh, the other competing truth claims in our day are, verse 16, cleverly devised myths? All right? Don't be scared of evolution, guys. Charles Darwin observed some things about nature that I think were, he was right in his observations. And then he made up a story about it, Right? Right? He, he observed right, that, that, that organisms share particular features, you know, monkeys and humans have femurs, okay, big leg bones. Right? He observed that. Right? He observed that, that in fact, uh, in different environments, organisms can change over time, right? both scientifically verifiable. Right? And then he made up a story about the origins of life. Do you get that? He had no witnesses, right? no, no historical evidence for that. He just made it up. Another equally very helpful explanation is, man, maybe the reason monkeys have femurs is because femurs are a good idea, and God knows how to design stuff, right? Right. Maybe maybe the reason that organisms change over time is because God has given us the ability to adapt to different environments, right? You can sleep for eight hours a night, right? And then you have a baby, and you can sleep for four hours a night, right? God God gave us those gifts, right? Like, he he made us able to adapt, right? So so listen, all I have to say, okay, right, Uh, just... When you think 
about what other people believe graciously and with humility, like knowing yourself, right? Just understand when it comes to having a reasonable worldview, Christianity is in a league of its own. There is literally no truth claim that comes even close in reasonableness, in evidence. Um, Just be assured of that. Be confident in that. But don't just be assured and confident. Pay attention to the scriptures. Uh, Look at verse 19. We have the prophetic word more more fully confirmed. To which you will do well to pay attention to. The New City Catechism said, how, how, how is the word of God to be read and heard? Here's what it says. With diligence, preparation, and prayer, that we may accept it with faith, store it in our hearts, and practice it in our lives. I have been the guy who kind of slides into church five minutes late. Whew, I'm here. Congratulations, me, right? Coffee in hand, okay? And I have not thought once, right, about how I'm going to receive the scriptures, right? I've been the guy who I get up, I feel terrible, I drink lots of coffee, and I just kind of throw myself on the couch for 15 minutes with my Bible open, hoping something happens, right? With not a thought, right, about my heart. Uh, maybe you guys are in a season where you're not getting a lot out of the, your time with the Lord or in public teaching because you're not actually paying attention to the scriptures. I'm not saying that's it. Sometimes we have dry spells, right? But, but, but this passage says, man, if this really is true, right? If it really is reasonable, it's on us to pay attention to it. Do not walk into church and sit back and say, all right, preachers, let's see if you can impress me this morning, right? Don't open your Bible and wait to be moved by it. Pay attention to the scriptures. You know, uh, I never recognized the tendency to just kind of like be real chill about listening to teaching until I went uh, internationally. So I, I got the privilege of teaching in uh, Amman, Jordan uh, this past January. And uh, my, my role there uh, was to, I taught for two days at a conference. Uh, and here's how the lessons would go. I want you to imagine we did this this weekend, okay? Uh, seven hours a day, all right? Uh, we get a break every, uh, every hour. I spoke through a translator and we were doing First Thessalonians. And I literally would go verse by verse comment on the meaning of each verse and make about 15 minutes of application on what the passage taught us about God and about the gospel, okay? No practical, here's what you do. No illustrations, because you don't make cross-cultural illustrations that you do at risk of your life, right? Um, Just nothing, just bare bones, right? Uh, Many people would be sleeping in half an hour. Well, for seven hours a day in Jordan, every eye was glued. People were like, getting carpal tunnel scribbling notes, right? People like the 10-year-old in the back, like the mom with her infant was zoned in seven hours a day. And it wasn't because I was teaching well, right? Eight hours of teaching a day is not me at my best. It's because they were paying attention to the scriptures. They had a heart that was engaged. And again, in a Western culture, when we have lots of things competing for our attention, when we have, literally, there are more sermons posted online than you could ever listen to in all of your life, right? It's very easy to be someone who's, who has a high taste for teaching and preaching or whatever. Be careful that you're paying attention to the word. But what's Peter's point in all this talk about the Bible? Uh, his point 
It's not just that the Bible is true and that it is unlike any other truth claims. Notice this whole passage is about how these truth claims reveal the return of Jesus. Notice again back to verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice this word coming is the word translated elsewhere in the New Testament that always, is always translated as the return of Jesus. The end time, history is over, all people appear before him. So why is it so important that the Bible is true? In this passage, it's because it reveals that history will end. Life does not go on forever and ever and ever and ever. One day, you will be before Jesus. That's why it's important. And notice uh, the whole reason. You might, you, might, you might be thinking in this passage, why is Peter so focused on the transfiguration? He witnessed lots of other stuff. What's the big deal? Uh, it's because the transfiguration is a preview of the return of Jesus. Now, I want you to think of a movie trailer. And I know, I know there's lots of movie trailers where they only show you the best two minutes of the movie and you go and you're disappointed, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. Think about a really good movie with a really good trailer. What a movie trailer does is it whets your appetite, right? It gives you, it gives you just a glimpse of what the movie's going to be like. It gets you excited about it. That's what the transfiguration was, in a sense. Uh, what will happen uh, when Jesus returns happened in a small scale, the transfiguration. He was transformed, right? Anyone there who saw him would say, this is God, right? God himself spoke from heaven, right? All of those things are little, uh, little pointers, uh, that Jesus really will return. Notice also uh, the prophetic word more fully confirmed in verse 19. All right. You'll do well to pay attention to it as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Uh, notice uh, Peter describes our present world as darkness. In other words, I think people do not realize history's ending. They don't realize Jesus is returning, right? If you, if you, if you walk through, uh, you went to Starbucks right now and asked the people if they believe Jesus is returning, they'd probably say, what are you talking about, right? Um, and in this present darkness, the scriptures which reveal this to us are like a lamp shining in a dark place, right? They bring light. It's kind of like turning the, turning the lights on. When you go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, you don't trip on stuff. You can see. That's what light does. It helps you see, right? That's what the scriptures do. They enable us to see, that in fact, life doesn't just go on and on and on. In fact, life is not primarily about being happy for the next 70 years. It's about preparing to meet Jesus when he returns. Um, and notice, uh, it's only a lamp, though. It's only a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns, which is a clear reference to the return of Christ, and the morning star rises in your hearts. Right now we have the scriptures, this wonderful testimony, until what all, all the things that it talks about are revealed to us with our sight. One day what we, what we believe by faith will be sight when the day dawns. Notice also uh, the morning star for believers will rise in their hearts. That it's not for believers, for someone who knows Jesus, the return of Jesus is not just an external thing. Actually what happens is Jesus himself rises in our hearts. We, we, believers, are transformed when Jesus returns. If you you know Christ, right, you've striven by faith to see him, when he returns, he will transform you. He'll change you. 
No more sin. All right? No, no, no more dimness. No more lack of care. All right? You're going to see him. You're going to enjoy him. Maybe, maybe, you've, maybe you've questioned, man, can I really enjoy God forever? Listen, on that day when Jesus transforms you, you will not question. You'll be able to enjoy him forever. He'll make that in you. And I had a friend in college uh, who said, I really do want Jesus to return, but I want to get married first. I want him to wait till I get married, which, you know, translation is, no offense, this might be a little, I want to have sex before Jesus returns, right? That's a translation. I want to be a Christian and have sex before Jesus returns, right? That's, that's the modern-day translation. But anyone who says that, okay, who says, I want Jesus to return, but I would like this to happen first, they, they just don't understand that the, if you're a believer, if you know Jesus, his return to close history and to make you his own and to transform you, it is the best news there could be, right? Do you really want to go on living with your sins forever, right? Do you really want to struggle and plot along and deal with brokenness and eventually have your body decay and die, right? Do you really want that, right? When Jesus returns, all is well. It's a good thing. C.S. Lewis, uh, I'm reading Mere Christianity, I love Lewis, but he said that one of the main businesses of life is to make sure that your desire for heaven does not get snowed under or laid aside. One of the most important things you can do as a Christian is to keep that day in your sights. So, here's my question for you. Most of you walked into this room saying that you believe in the return of Jesus. My question to you is, do you really believe he's returning soon? Do you really live like he could return this evening? I think uh, the picture the Bible gives us is that we are like blind men walking towards the edge of a cliff. Right? We never know when we're going to step over. That's what, that's what life in this world is like. Do you really believe that? Is there an urgency in your life? And also, I just say, if you're struggling, right? Maybe you're exhausted, dealing with stuff. Don't you know there's an end in sight? Right? I'm, a big, I'm a big believer, sorry. I'm a big believer that uh, I talk with my hands. Sometimes it hurts. Uh, I'm a big believer um, that you can do anything for a season. Right? There's, there's, there are a few things that you can't do as long as the season is limited, as long as you have an end in sight. Right? And I think one of the ways this truth really helps if you're struggling is that no matter where you are right now, in the big picture of what God is doing in eternity, it is just a season. If you're lonely, it's just a season. I can promise you that. One day you will not be lonely. Right? If, you're, uh, if you're exhausted, if your cup is empty, it will not be forever. One day you'll be full. Just trust that. Find some endurance there. So, so far Peter said, the scriptures are true. They're true, unlike anything else. They reveal that Jesus is returning, right? But there's one little last twist to the argument here. Notice verse 16 again. It starts with this little word, uh, for. Whenever you see this word in the Bible, most of the time it translates this little Greek word that means whatever I'm about to say, okay, is the reason for what I've just said, right? So uh, there's this passage in uh, Mark 8 when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me and die, okay? And there's these series of fours that give the reasons, and the final reason is one day you're going to appear before me. The idea in that verse is you're going you're to appear before me, therefore, right now, the best thing, take up your cross and die. That's the idea here. So 
this whole passage is actually uh, it's just a reason for what we learned last week that the main business of the Christian life is to grow in a godly character. As verse, uh, verses uh, 5, 6, and 7 say, For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. What's really ironic is, even if you were here last week, you might have heard that, right, and already forgotten it, right? Welcome to, welcome to preaching, right? Um, encouraging for me. But uh, um, I think this work, all right, this work of not just behaving the right way in certain instances, not just being in the right places, but actually arranging our lives to sharpen our Christian character, to adding virtue to our lives, right? Um, it is such an easy thing to just not do. It is so easy to let your Christian life be primarily activity and being in the right places and not dealing with your character. And Peter, again, gives us another reason here, a very compelling reason to grow. Let me just lay the argument out one more time. All right, Scriptures really are true. There's nothing like them. They're based on eyewitness testimony, on prophecy confirmed. All right, They reveal something unbelievable that Jesus, at any moment, before I finish speaking, could return. And when he does, history's over. Heaven or hell for every person in the universe. All right? Then, the therefore, the point of all this is so that you and I will take up the difficult work of growing in our Christian characters. Notice in, uh, this is back in uh, verse uh, 11. For in this way, in growing in your characters, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When Jesus returns, people who have taken their faith and they have, they have taken their faith and they've grown into the picture in this passage. Right? They will be richly rewarded by Jesus. And there's, there's nobody richer than Jesus, right? He owns everything. Right? Just imagine the kind of rewards he gets. Right? It's going to be glorious. Likewise, people who dismiss Jesus or who kind of just, I don't know what a better term is, but slack off, right? Um, they won't be richly rewarded. They'll miss out. I mean, you, you, can, you can go to heaven and enjoy the Lord forever and still miss out on blessings. So the whole point of that is grow. A lot of grace. So there's this really uh, fun Old Testament story in 2 Kings. And I'll just say, if you, if you only read the New Testament and Psalms, you miss a lot of fun stories. But 2 Kings, a prophet named Elijah, he's a prophet in a very unfaithful time in Israel's history. Uh, he's holed up in a city. And the Syrian army has come to kill him, and he has no army, no bodyguard, nothing. His servant wakes up, and he, you know, imagine waking up to an army outside your house, but he does, and uh, it's bad news, and he's like, Elijah, what do we do? And Elijah says, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Um, And the servant's like, you're crazy. And Elijah prays, Lord, open up his eyes that he may see. And all of a sudden, the servant sees horses and chariots of fire all around them, a mountain full of the armies of God. And I think what we might need this morning uh, is just to pray that the Lord would open up our eyes that we might see, that we might not just intellectually assent to the idea that Jesus is returning, that we might not say we believe that he's returning, but that we might really see it, that it might really impact our hearts. That's my prayer for you.
Let's pray. Lord, uh, I do ask that you'd open up our eyes. This Your return is something that is difficult to even speak of in ways that are worthy of it. So uh, we pray in our hearts that we would enthrone you and really desire for you to return. Just pray for you to have mercy upon us in Jesus' name.